0: The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast and presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game mods, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgampodcast.com slash winbet, com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T, state restrictions apply. Welcome everybody to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Rochelle, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Sam Jacob. And together, it is time to go through the fourth round of the Australian Open. First of all, Sam, I know both of us cleaned house last night. We'll talk about that in a second, but how's it going with you?
1: I'm um, going pretty well. Some good matches, some late at nights that unfortunately I could not uh, watch the full thing because it was at four and five in the morning, but um Pretty much as we expected with some of those results last night.
0: Yeah, uh, just to go through the actual plays that we had, if you didn't realize based on our mood, we both ended up sweeping. Sam, remind the people what you had. I know you had a potential player prop or team total, whatever you want to call it. Remind the people what you had.
1: Right, it was the under 16.5 for Ugo Humbert against Rune. Uh, the match pretty much went as expected, um, and I took the pretty, pretty much the play that allowed. Humbert even win a set, but he did not. It ended up six four six two seven six, giving him a total of twelve, hitting the under sixteen and a half, which was my lock for the podcast. And then I had Tommy Paul, who I thought the minus one thirty five was kind of a short money line for him, and he should have been a, a a bigger favorite here. And the results speaks for itself: six one six four six three. I had the alternative line at a minus two and a half, I believe, plus one hundred five as my underdog. Complete sweet. Sweep, easy from the get-go. Brooksby didn't look like he could um play to his full potential and uh Tommy Paul took advantage.
0: Yeah, fatigue was really a story for a lot of players yesterday, which is why some of these matches turned out to be routes. But just looking at my picks, I also ended up sweeping. Uh speaking of fatigue or injury or whatever you want to call it, I had dimitrov plus seven and a half games as my lock at minus one thirty-five. Wasn't fun at all. In fact, Sam, you said you didn't watch the matches as the host. I did. I can Uh, watch the end of some of them. Yeah, you watched the first two sets with me, and then you ended up going to bed. I ended up just watching the whole thing anyway because I was just sweating out the third set for betting purposes. I have a whole rant about Dimitrov I can get into. I'm not sure if I'm going to because we have a lot to go through on the pod. But Dimitrov got there. It wasn't pretty. He lost in straight sets to a 40-50% joker, but he ended up winning enough games, so I won that as the lock. And for my dog, we basically doubled down on Rune. Uh, I actually did take the straight sets win at plus, two, at plus 130, and as you said before, you had a breaker in the third, but Rune basically coasted for most of the match, and we ended up both winning. So... 4-0 in my last four picks in the Australian Open. You're 4-0 in your last four picks in the Australian Open. We've been cooking, but even looking at the matches that we actually didn't give out for Lock and Dog, I was wrong about Rublev Evans. I thought Rublev would win. I just didn't think it would be straight set massacre. I thought. The- I think that was
1: the biggest surprise. Sorry to interrupt there, but I think yeah. that was the biggest surprise about all the matches from what we called yesterday, and I guess maybe the Ben Shelton-Pyron, which...
0: Yeah, the Shelton one I got wrong as well. Uh, I thought, Papa- thought Papyron with the home crowd would fare well, and he did the opposite of that. He actually got his ass kicked. Uh, but the two surprises for me are the two things I got wrong. I really thought Evans-Rublev would have been closer, and I thought that Papyron was going to beat Shelton, and he lost in straight sets. So that was kind of the two shockers. We got everything else right. I liked the over and the Batista-Gut match. The sets got there. The games got there. Uh, Dimitrov ended up getting there, did not win a set. So it was a good thing I took the 7.5 instead for the games. We thought Wolf would destroy uh, Momoa, and he did. He ended up winning that one in straight sets. I was wrong about Tommy Paul to win in straight sets, but I was right about him winning. Of course, you were more confident than I was because you gave it out as an alternative spread, and we thought Dimonur would destroy Bonzi, or he'd win, and he did. So overall, very good day for the podcast for the second day of the third round. Now it's time to get into the fourth round. So I feel like the best way to do this is to go through the actual quarters and then work our way backwards here. Uh, you ready? Or you want to add yeah, anything from yesterday's matches first?
1: No, no, let's let's do it.
0: All right. Uh, so starting
1: off with the first quarter. Well, the wait ball- a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. We that's got something we got to talk about. Oh, that's right. But-
0: there is something we got to talk about. <laughs> you ended up sweeping with your lock and dog picks. However, you did technically give out a loser because you had uh, Batista Agut not to face a break point at plus 20,000. And it actually wasn't even that horrible. Murray was injured. Uh, you could tell from the first set when Batista Agut ended up winning 6-1. He only faced two break points in the entire match. Now, it was a bit misleading because it was Love 40, and Batista Agut got broken in the first point. So you would have had to face a minimum of three, or maximum of three, in that... Actual game had, you know, he not just punted the first break point that he faced, but what plus 20,000 match was about three plus hours, four sets, only two break points, really not a bad call.
1: Yeah, we got deep into the second set there before he actually had to face one of those break points. And we were both keeping track of it because it ended up being five games into the second set. It was also just funny, to to be honest. You just threw
0: it out there because one book's offering the stupidest props imaginable. And it looked good for about, I don't know, like 1.75 sets.
1: Yeah, we we're at 1.75 sets in, and I quote Scotta here. He says, I'm one of the greatest tennis pickers of our generation. That, that was so. not
0: said. I, I need to see the script on that one. Uh, we need to consult the – what's the name of the the scribe? Is it the scribe who does the court stuff who types all the things verbatim?
1: No, I don't. Know. Oh, you mean oh, in the like actual judicial court?
0: Yeah, in the actual judicial court, the person with the typewriter.
1: Oh yeah, scribe. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. We need we need to consult what the up. scribe. We got to see if I said that. But anyway, you can carry on.
1: Anyway, it was a decent play for plus twenty thousand two break points in the entire match. You know, you you can't get much closer than that to be you know immediately rich. So well,
0: technically, you uh <laughs> could only face one break point or zero. But either way, it was a good it was a good attempt. Uh, just, you know, didn't work out. Uh, the odds today for those props, by the way, not nearly as fun. Uh, the longest odds are actually Nishioka at plus 15,000. Uh, every other one's basically, uh, 2,500 and center is a thousand, but, and Herkaz is plus 8,000, but there's really not many. That still is a service game. So that's actually, you know, not totally bad, not great. For the non, uh, the no break points, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Nishioka's plus uh, 25,000. is <laughs> 15,000. Korda's 5,000, which is an absolute joke, by the way, because Korda's not a good server. Uh, he's okay, not great. Uh, Kakanov's plus 10,000.
1: Uh, All right, you yeah. don't have to continue. It's you okay. Know,
0: the point is it's not going to happen. You can bet the aces, though. They do have aces for the over-under in the Pass center match. But either way... Now we're talking. Uh, It's only minus 115 for the over-under 17.5. But still, that's your niche prop analysis for the pod. Uh, Other than that, though, do you want to actually talk about any of the matches yesterday in a deep dive perspective, or do you want to... No, let's go
1: forward. forward? Let's go forward with the quarters.
0: Okay, so starting off with the first quarter, uh, you are looking at Korda being the new favorite because he ended up beating Medvedev, and now he might be a bit overvalued. Korda is plus 110. Herkaz is uh, plus 250. Kakanov is plus a 275, and Nishioka is the super long shot at plus 800. I'm going to ask you, just going through the actual matches for the fourth round, Hercas plays against Korda, so you have the top two guys against each other, and then you have Nishioka against Kakanov. So wouldn't you agree that the value is with whichever player you think is going to win the Kakanov-Nishioka match, just mathematically speaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, the odds of that match, we're seeing a minus 250 on Khashanov versus Nishioka. He's up 3-1 in the head-to-head. But I don't know. I think it's any one of of these guys can take this quarter at this point. I think um, both of these matches that we're seeing in this quarter coming up is going to be close matches. And I think any one of these players are pretty much alive to take the quarter. I still have for my outrights pod, um Herkots to win this quarter at plus 1,200. So uh like you had on Bautista, Goot, you know, I'm just riding on that and play Wolfie. at this point. And Wolfie, both living. Mm-hmm.
0: But I know neither of them are favored anymore. We'll talk about that quarter in a bit, but I think the value is actually on Nishioka. Kakanov's 3-1 in the head-to-head. He looked good against Tiafo. It should have went 5. He was down 1-6 in the breaker, and then Tiafo absolutely choked, and Kakanov ended up winning the fourth. He was still up 2-1, though. He looked good. However, plus 800, like that, I think that's a hell of a deal. I think that's a really good deal. Nishioka's proven over the last year or so that he can make deep runs. It was mostly two out of three tournaments. Made the finals in D.C., ended up winning in South Korea. He proved last year that he's capable of really annoying opponents by keeping the ball in play and by his movement. Kakanov's a player that we know can self-destruct with unforced errors, and I think that Nishioka uh, Nishioka is pretty live to actually win the match. Now, I'm not saying he's officially going to win the match. I think Kakanov might end up winning a war. It wouldn't surprise me if it goes four or five sets, but I think the value is at eight to one because if you're shopping around, you can find the same bet for Nishioka quarter at six to one, and another book is eight to one. Would you agree with me? Because I think that the Herkaz quarter match could go five, could be a bit of a war there. Maybe you fight uh, or you play against a compromised version of one of the two. Plus 800? I think Nishioka is too good of a player to be at plus 800. I think Nishioka should be around 500, 600.
1: Yeah, I like how Nishioka's been playing. I I really do. He hasn't dropped the set all tournament, so he should be okay in terms of fatigue. But I really like how he's playing. I think he should break into the top 20 at some point. The only thing that scares me is his performances in Grand Slams. I mean, usually he doesn't really get past... The third round. I mean, in the past US Open, Wimbledon, and French Open, he hasn't made past the first round, but that's different here now. We see that he's already into the fourth round, winning every single set. So I, I really like how he's playing. And I got to take, I got to agree with you that the, the most value here is the guy with the biggest plus money, and that's Nishioka.
0: Yeah. And you're looking at who historically has a history of potentially blowing some matches he should win. Uh, they did play in the Australian Open back in 2019. Kakanov did win in straight sets. Uh, they played in the Olympics in 2021. Kakanov did win in three. Did lose the first set, though, so Nishioka actually had him on the ropes. But they did play in Washington in 2022, and Nishioka won in straight sets. Two tie breaks. So Nishioka is the most recent winner, so you can make a serious case at plus 800. There's value there. If I had to bet it, I think 800 is actually a steal. I'm not saying he's going to win the quarter. You can potentially hedge if he beats Kakanov. But plus 800 for a player that hasn't dropped the set yet and a guy that just beat the same opponent in the in the fourth round back in Washington in 2022, I think there's value just inherently on Nishiok.
1: Yep, I'm with you on that one.
0: Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add there or just move on to the second quarter?
1: Second quarter. Okay,
0: so the second quarter is... A star-studded quarter. It's either a battle the second quarter or the third quarter for the power rankings on what's the best quarter left. But you're looking at sitsipas being plus one hundred and twenty, give or take. Felix is plus one hundred and seventy-five. Sinner is plus two hundred and fifty, Le- and and Laheka is plus two thousand. You have Sitsipas against Sinner, and you have Felix against Laheka. Now, I guess you can make the argument that since Felix has LaHeka. There's value on him. I'm going to dismiss that immediately. Under no circumstance am I picking Felix to make the semis. Guy's been dropping sets left and right. He's dropped sets to Sarundolo. He's dropped two sets to Vulcan, um, The Molcano, which I heard as a nickname, which is now one of my favorite nicknames in tennis, down 2 nothing in that match. Felix hasn't looked good. I'm just going to point it out. Like, Sarundolo had a pretty good... Uh, Season last year, I believe he cracked into the top 30. But Felix has not looked sharp. He's dropped too many sets early on. And I mentioned it before, I don't want to back players, especially with a tough road ahead of them, who have had to expend extra energy through playing more sets in the early rounds. I'm eliminating Felix. I know that the the draw is somewhat favorable now because he has Leheka instead of Nori, and Sitsipas, and Sinner might kill each other. I, I can't take Felix. I, I think the value is going to be on Leheka actually. Plus 2,000? Isn't that a little bit absurd for a guy that just beat Norius in the top fifteen?
1: Well, I mean in this match we're seeing that uh Augur's favorite at minus four hundred versus Leheka and Leheka's plus three hundred here. Um I I I I can't really go on the side of la here i mean he, he had a great match against nori and he won in five but i think they the, i don't know if there's any value on, on any player in this quarter i, I, just I don't think there's think...
0: any value either that's why i kind of lean to la Le because it's 20 to 1 in reality i think i'd probably pick either Sitsipas or sinner to win the quarter but there's no value on it because they play against each other and i think that match might be a coin flip so I don't see much value. I don't trust Felix enough at plus 175. So I kind of threw out Leheka by default because it's 20-1. to 1.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fair, but I think especially there's no value on uh, Sinner or Sitsipas because in this match, your Sinner's a plus 175 against Sitsipas. You could just take the match straight up and not have to worry about uh, having to play Augur uh, if you parlayed let's just say sinner at plus 175 with what auger's line is going to be um against auger if auger moves on it's not going to it doesn't make sense to go with sinner in the quarter.
0: Yeah, I also am shopping around. I found sinner at plus 333. I found La at 14 to 1. So I'm getting an extra 6 bucks just by shopping around, but I did a parlay calculator to see what the potential odds might be for Laheka to actually win the quarter. He's plus 400 you said against Felix? Uh plus 330. Plus 330. Okay, so let me actually see what I can do here. So, let's assume for a second that Sitsi Pass wins. What do you think Laheka's odds are against Sitsi Like plus 400? Yeah. Okay. And what do you think it would be against Center?
1: Um like uh, I'll same, keep it same? the same as Auger. Let's just say. Okay. So- plus 330 around there.
0: Okay. So, assuming he plays against Sisi Poss with those makeshift fake odds that we just came up with, that pays out at a plus uh 2050. So, that's basically the same thing as the price now. If it is sinner, then you're looking at around 17 to 1. So, there might be value, there might not be. So, I'm actually not even sure if 20 to 1's a good deal or not because they might just make Sisi pass a massive favorite if he beat Sinner, and then you might have been better off just kind of doing an open parlay or a rollover parlay uh, with Laheka. But I don't see much value here. I think Sitsipas will probably win the quarter if I had to guess, but there's no value on it when you have to play Sinner in the next round. Then maybe Felix. So I have no interest in this quarter. I don't think there's any value, but I'm going to throw out Laheka twenty to one because I think twenty to one's a little bit high because Felix has been a bit vulnerable so far this tournament.
1: Fair enough. I, I I I like we said before. I just don't think there's any value. That's really what it is, cut and dry.
0: Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the third quarter, uh, we'll get we'll go back and go through some individual matches. By the way, so just keep that in mind. But mo- looking at the third quarter, you have Djokovic at minus two twenty five. Then you have Rune at plus four fifty. You have Rublev at plus five fifty, and Diminor at plus eight fifty. We saw Djokovic win in straight sets. He didn't look great. But he looked good enough, and Dimitrov is one of the dumbest tennis players I've ever seen. Uh, that's why I've roasted Dimitrov on the show for about a year at this point. It's because I think very low of him as a player. I can't believe he used to be a top-ten guy, just based on the lack of mental toughness and the awful shot selection that he displays. But I said before, we got a lot to go through in the pot. I'm not going to go on a full-on Dim- Dimitrov rant. I could. I could go on one for like 5-10 minutes, but I'm not going to do it because he actually won me money. But Djokovic is now a bigger favorite than he was yesterday because he won a match. So he's at 225. I'm going to ask you it simply put, we watched him play. Djokovic had a phenomenal first set win there where he fell down on that volley to win the breaker. Crazy tie break. Then you had Rune, who looked very comfortable. Rublev looked really comfortable. They're playing against each other. And you have Dimonor, who won in straight sets. He has the home crowd behind him, and he's plus 850. Am I wrong for thinking the values on Dimonor? Or am I... Because I'm I'm trying to think what the odds would be against with him against Rublev or Rune with the home crowd. I think it's interesting, but I really think that Dimonor... I don't know if there's any value, though, if he's plus 345 to be Djokovic. Because then he's going to be another probably plus two and change against Rune or Rublev. And at that point, if you just parlay plus 200 with plus 345, it pays out at over 12 to 1. So I think there's actually not any value on Dimitr because you're better off just rolling over a parlay. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean if you do the same thing for Rublev and Rune here, let's just say um we take either one of them, let's just say plus one hundred, which is what we're seeing with Rublev, and we see him even play uh Demon Hour, which is the best case scenario, I guess. Um he would be what, like 250? a minus uh, I don't think it'd be that strong. Uh, 200? Maybe like a yeah, minus two hundred. What do we, what do we get out there? So if you
0: throw in an even money with a minus two hundred, it pays out at, at two to one.
1: Okay, and then we're seeing him at plus 550. I'm 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 going to take, if anyone, I think that the value really is on Rublev at plus 550. It's a coin flip match versus Rune right now. It's a minus, we're seeing minus 110, minus 125 for Rune. Really a coin flip matchup. If you're going to give me an extra plus 550 compared to plus 450 for Rune, I'm going to go on the Rublev side of things. Um it's there's two aspects of this. He could get Demon Hour if Djokovic isn't able to perform because of his injury, or if Djokovic is able to perform and somehow strengthen his way out of Demon Hour, but then also not be able to perform against Rublev, then you have you have value there as well. So uh it look it's two sides of the coin and I get a little bit more value on Rublev versus Rune. So I'm gonna be on the Rublev value here.
0: So looking at the head-to-head between Rune and Rubla, this kind of going to transition us into a match breakdown briefly. But Rune is up one nothing in the head-to-head. They played in the Masters 1000 in Paris, which was the tournament that Rune won at the end of last year. Uh, beat Djokovic in the final, if you remember that. But he did win 6-4, 7-5 in the round of 16. So Rune did just beat him. But I know you mentioned or you point out as you were watching the Rune match that Rune might have tweaked his ankle briefly. He ended up not it really didn't impact him in the end because Rune won yeah. anyway, did go to a breaker. So his returning his return games weren't as solid as they were before the injury. It didn't look that bad, but it's worth pointing out that Rune did kind of mess up his ankle a little bit,
1: correct? Uh, it didn't really seem to impact him really towards the end of the match I know you brought I, I it up really, though, that's why I am I mentioned I saw, it I saw it, he did twist his ankle but it was the type of situation where like it takes a couple of minutes to get back into it and recover from a little twisted ankle there, so I, I wouldn't really consider it too much on this next match
0: just throwing it out there that uh, if it is a long match which we might be expecting, I'm curious if the ankle might flare up at some point but I'm re- I think I'd probably agree with you for Rublev at five fifty, it's either Rublev or I, I'm really torn here because Diminor I just disproved myself because I was initially interested in him, but then I did basically the same the uh, parlay calculator, and I realized plus eight fifty is kind of a robbery, actually. So I think I'm gonna go with Rune because Rune just beat Djokovic, and that was a healthy Djokovic in that same Paris Masters a thousand event. He one in three. I think if Rune would play Djokovic right now, I think Rune would beat him. I'm just gonna say it. Rublev, I think, would probably beat him too. That's how concerned I am by Djokovic's injury from what I saw, even though he won in straight sets. I think I'm gonna go with Rune at 450. He just beat Djokovic. I have talked to, I've praised Rune since we started this podcast. I thought he would have a better showing on clay. He waited until the hardcore season to make his full move into the top 10. But I'm a big fan of Rune. I think he's a great player. And the fact that he beat Djokovic and Rublev in the span of the last three months kind of instills extra confidence in me and maybe himself to actually make it into the semis. I'm going to go with Rune plus 450.
1: Fair enough. If you think Rune is going to beat Rublev, then that's that's the way to go. But I see I just from the odds, I see coin flip, So that's why I'm going with the extra value.
0: But I am going to ask you this, though, because I asked you the same question yesterday. And now that we do have an extra match under our belt, the concern level with Djokovic's hamstring. I believe yesterday you were at a five. I was at mm-hmm. an eight and the one at a 10 scale for concern. Are you still at a five or have you moved up?
1: i'm moving up I'm, I'm moving up to about a seven seven and a half at this point uh from the look of the dimitrov match the thing is i think djokovic can pull through in terms of not having to retire d- due to an injury but it just seems like he is being very very conservative with it meaning that he's not going to be able to go for a lot of the shots that he's usually able to get to because he is the lanky Novak Djokovic who can get to so many balls when he's completely healthy. He's just, you know, um, I can't overstretch this so that it, maybe I could like, it's going to hurt and um, re aggravate or aggravate the injury. So I'm not going to go for the ball, which is very, very tough when you get a hot, hard hitter um, coming up like Rune or Rublev. I, I feel so. Uh, it's definitely more on the seven and a half now just because he, he himself has recognized that I can't go for every single ball at this point. This could really hurt me even no matter what uh, run he makes in the Australian Open. So if you have, like I said, if you have a hard hitter where he needs to be healthy and be that lanky Djokovic to get to every ball, it's just, he's going to be losing those points. So I, I'm I'm up to a seven and a half at this point with concern.
0: Yeah, uh, but I am looking at the actual schedule and I'm trying to remember exactly how many days off they have. Uh, Let me just see if I can remember this. Okay, so from what I can gather here, I don't believe there's any time off. I think they go straight. Is that accurate? They play play the quarters on Monday and then the semis would be... Actually, on Thursday. So I guess the question I'm asking, there are a couple of days off. There's two days off or so in between the quarters and the semis for the men. Can Djokovic make it that far to buy himself extra rest? I'm not sure he can, if I'm being honest with you.
1: I think uh, it's it's very strange because... What I think is is that like I said before he's not going to go for many balls like uh, if it's he really needs to stretch for them here in these rounds which is a very big concern but if he goes to the semifinals and or finals which I'm not sure that he will be able to get to but at that point I feel like in the finals he might be going for broke like I I don't think he's going to he's going to like um you know, be, yeah, be scared at all about the injury when it if it reaches that point. But he has to get to that point to actually be with that mentality. I think. What, what I'm trying to say is that he ha- I think he has a mentality right now that he's trying to conserve and be uh, try to stay healthy to get to the final, and he's not going to be a guy that would be like, oh, I'm done, Like this is too hard for me. I think he's just going to play to what he can and his ability is with the injury and then move on from there. But if he somehow gets to the finals, I think he might be able to go all out. But like like I said, it's, it's going to be tough to get there if he is doing what he's doing right now.
0: I, the thing is, I, I had to bring up the schedule because the point is Djokovic has to beat Diminor and either Rune or Rublev before he gets the two extra days off. And two extra days is just not enough time. Like I, if this I don't inju- think it's going to matter. Yeah, if this injury happened in baseball, the guy's on the 15-day IL and he's not playing for two, three weeks. And yet he's yeah. he's playing every two days, so the hamstring's not going to get better. He's going to need extra rest on it, probably a couple of weeks. He'll shut himself down after the Australian Open for probably a month, and we'll go from there. But the reason why I bring it up is because I really wish there were odds on Djokovic to not win the quarter. I would slam it at plus money. My concern is still at an eight. I was definitely more concerned than you were yesterday. He won in straight sets. He really didn't look great. And in the third set, he got broken a couple of times because he couldn't move, and he was trying to save some energy. Dimitrov just hit a bunch of unforced errors all match and really bailed Djokovic out. But Djokovic, I'm rooting for him. Obviously, I don't think he's good enough to beat Rublev at this point. I don't think he's big enough. I don't think he's good enough to beat Rune at this point. Dimitrov maybe, but it's such a horrible matchup since Dimitrov is so fast, and all he does is keep the ball in play. That match could be four hours, and then Djokovic, if he would win that match, would have to respond physically well and play about a day or two later against a top 10 player in the world. It's such a horrible schedule for Djokovic.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. I'm dialing it back on the... Djokovic can't move um, narrative. In the third uh, set, it
0: didn't look great. I'll tell you that much. He got progressively worse. Oh, the second set, he was good. First set, he was fine for the first what, like five games, six games.
1: There's there's joke. There's, there's the player can't move, and there's Djokovic can't move like he usually. Okay, that, can that's move. a fair point. Okay, and that's point. that's that's the big difference that I'm yeah. I'm gonna make here. I, I mean, mean
0: I'm, there's a hyperbole, but yes,
1: he. He, in my opinion, is the goat, and he's very, very restricted. But he's not like a Andy Murray who can't move, or a Sitsipas who can't move when he's really, when they're really, really hurt. It's just can't well play it, to his full, his full capacity.
0: Yeah, uh, I think this at this stage is roughly fifty percent or forty percent, and I don't think he's good enough to win the tournament at that mm-hmm. level. And since Rune just beat him on hard court about two months ago. I think Rune would beat Djokovic rather comfortably, in my opinion. But, yeah, yeah. I I think if I'm looking at any futures for Djokovic right now, assuming that they grade retirements or walkovers in case the worst possible situation, I would really bet the field to win the Australian Open at minus 150. I don't know how Djokovic is supposed to make it through the final, beating the likes of potentially Rune or Rublev, followed by, who would he face off in the semi? It would be Sitsipas in the final, correct?
1: Oh, well, I mean, if if that's what it is, it would be but...
0: Sitsipas or Center or one of those guys, right? So I'm Sitsipas, trying to remember who, center, who would he play in the
1: semis? Herkats, Corda. Okay, he uh, play the quarter we or Well, we haven't we haven't gone through the quarter, but it's either Tommy Paul, Batista, JJ Wolf, or Ben Shelton. That's actually a decent draw, though. Like that. Yeah, that's so that's it's, the it's, that's the easiest match. That's, that's why I'd rather
0: match. actually, I'd really, really rather bet him against a bet if there was a price for him to win the quarter or to not win the quarter, I would take the no at plus money. I think that's the best bet possible. I doubt you'll find a book that actually offers that, but there's no chance I'm taking Djokovic at plus 120. Minus 150, I think, is actually a bargain, but I don't think Djokovic is going to win the event. That's kind of where I'm at right now. But anyway, uh, you're going to lean to Rublev in the third quarter at plus 550. I'll lean to Rune at plus 450. Moving on to the fourth quarter, you have the new favorite, Tommy Paul, at plus 170 after a straight set win against Brooksby. Batista Agut is plus 185. J.J. Wolf is plus 350. And Shelton is plus 400. I find it fascinating, once again in this quarter, that the two favorites play against each other in the next round as Paul's taking on Batista Agut, which means they're automatically value on Wolf and Shelton, and they play against each other. I'll ask you, Sam, where do you think the value lies? You know that you know where I stand, you know I already have outrights on uh Batista Agut and Wolf, so I don't exactly need to bet on anything in the upcoming round. But what do you think? Because right now, looking at the head to heads here, Shelton and Wolf never never played against each other, and Batista Agut, and Paul have played four times, it's minus one ten apiece. Batista Agut is three and one. Paul did beat him in the only meeting last year, though, in Paris in January of 2022.
1: So it's a little bit contradictory because of what I said in the last podcast yesterday. I did uh, mention that I think Bautista Good has the mo- m- most value, but as the rounds go on, I do have to adapt to what I think can happen based off previous play or and. In- basically based off previous play and what happened in those matches. And right now what I'm looking at is I don't really see much value in terms of odds to win the quarter. I would just, I, I wouldn't even like put in, put make a bet on any of these odds because I don't see value, but I think, the best player right now of that quarter is Tommy Paul. And I do think he's favored for a reason. And I do think that it's fair that he's favored. I think he's just the best player in the, in the, in the quarter right now. I think he's playing the best uh, um, right now. I had him in both of my underdogs and he hit for me on both of the underdogs. And I just think, um, of quality of play, of all these players, of the uh, young Americans, J.J. Wolf and Ben Shelton, Tommy Paul and Batista Goot. I think Tommy Paul is just the best one out of them, and I think he will move on to win the quarter, but I do not see much value at his odds right now.
0: I think I'm in the spot where I have to contemplate hedging, but I got to think of how I'm supposed to do it because I could potentially get a head-to-head matchup in the quarters, but in reality, I, I think Tommy Paul is going to beat Batista Agut. I watched a lot of that Batista good match, and yes, he did win in four. Murray was struggling physically for basically the entire match. He had moments where he had like a second wind, then a third wind, then he basically had 10 wins where he was exhausted and he was getting killed. Then he would come back and make it a match, and then he slowly would fade again. But the fact that the match was that competitive, and the fact that Batista good didn't blow him out of the water when Murray could not really move well, after having two separate five setters, you knew that Batista Goot was going to win based on how Murray looked physically. I'm shocked Murray won a set. I don't know how he pulled it off. I don't know how Batista Agut didn't just smack him since Murray was playing at roughly 30%, 40%. He was limping all over the place. I think he also injured his calf at some point in the third set, which kind of flared up in the fourth, in addition to the fatigue for potentially the hip or just the overall running. For those th- uh, five set matches against Berrettini and against Kokonakis, I really wasn't that impressed by Batista Gut yesterday or this morning. Nice win overall, you know, survive in advance. But based on what I saw and the amount of energy he had to put into beating a compromised Murray, I think Paul's should be favored. I think Paul probably wins that match. And for Shelton Wolf, I think it's interesting. I'd probably lean Wolf, but I I think that could be a competitive match. I think I agree with you, though. I think I'm just going to go with Tommy Paul. I think Paul, with him having a rest advantage, winning three comfortable sets against Brooksby, as Batista Good had a five-setter against Holt, followed by a four-setter marathon there against Murray, marathon based on time on court, I think Paul has a massive rest advantage or just stamina advantage, and that'll pay dividends in this match.
1: Yeah, they also have a, a pretty big age gap there. So, uh, and I Paul just Tommy's beat him wrong. in the
0: recent meeting back last January. Six four, six four.
1: Well, to, to answer your question about hedging, I, I don't exactly remember the odds that you got on Batista Good and JJ Wolf. But if you got good enough odds, you could just hedge with the Tommy Paul to win the quarter. I mean, yeah, I got I
0: got fourteen to one on, on Batista Good. I'm trying to remember what Wolf was. I, th- I think it was around twenty. It might have been seventeen or twenty. I got to double check that, but the point is, it's two decently long double-digit, you know, underdogs or long shots. Oh, then you so, should be fine.
1: You should be fine with a decent hedge on just p- picking Tommy Paul to win the quarter. Obviously, getting ultimate cooler if Ben Shelton somehow pulls it off, but I just don't see it.
0: Or the argument is, I potentially gamble, and as long as Batista, Goot, or Wolf win, then I just hedge the quarter finals.
1: Yeah, but I don't think it would be better. I don't think it would be better than taking Tommy Paul at plus one one seventy right now. Was it?
0: Probably wouldn't so. be. I I think I'd actually just rather take Tommy Paul money line against Batista. Good because I just think he's going to win.
1: Yeah, but it, but ah, oh, if Tommy Paul, uh, yeah, but then you're taking a minus one ten so plus one seventy.
0: But then he could also lose to Wolf. I could hedge. Then you separately. still win. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to think about how I want to potentially hedge that, but. I don't feel confident in Batista a good beating Paul. I do think Wolf will beat Shelton. So I'm gonna have to figure that out on my own. But either way, uh point is I got two guys left in the final four, and hopefully one of them cashes for a pretty decent, if not huge, quarter payout. If one of them wins the quarter, I'm I'm easily up in the I'm up in the tournament anyway, but I'll be up by a ton in the tournament if one of them
1: comes through gotcha all right let's transition over to these matches
0: all right uh so we're gonna go back to chronological order here starting with the matches on saturday night uh looking at the first match you have Herkaz against corda to go through the odds here corda is the favorite obviously because he's favored to win the quarter to go through those odds though corda is minus 160 or so on the money line minus two and a half games is the spread minus 115 for corda plus two and a half is Over, under is 40 and a half games. If you want to go for three and a half sets, it's minus 185. Uh, if you want to go with Herkaz to win two sets, it is minus 125 uh, for the plus one and a half sets. And Korda for minus one and a half sets is minus 105. Uh, to look through the actual head-to-head between these two players, they have faced off once before in 2021, and Herkaz beat him in Delray 6-3, I'm just going to go on record. I like Herkaz for the value here. Nice win by Corda against Medvedev. I watched the highlights. I didn't actually watch that match live. I thought that he looked good, but I think Corda's a bit overvalued now. I kind of like the value getting the number roughly 11 player in the world, getting plus money against the number 31 player in the world. And there's value on Herkaz, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I definitely can understand that, but to me, I'm I'm thinking that this match screams over.
0: I like the oh. over too. I think it's going to be a war. I just I I don't think Corda should be this big of a favorite, and I I I know 160 doesn't sound like much, but historically speaking, Corda's really not had any Grand Slam success. And yes, he beat Medvedev, but when you have these upset wins, you get the immediate overreaction from the future markets and from the odds makers. This feels like an overreaction, doesn't it?
1: No, yeah, yeah, definitely. And we've seen that in the past. I, the oddsmakers have uh, overreacted to some of these players um, after having a, a big win in a minor tournament right before. And I agree with you. I think the Corda is way too heavy of a favorite here. I think it should be more on the lines of almost close to even maybe quarter like to the minus 140 minus 130 level but not a, yeah. all the way to minus 160 minus 170 but i, I just like the over here 39 and a half and minus 130 that's where i'm going
0: i agree with you there i think you're going to see at least four or five sets you're looking at some potential reasons why court is a big favor in addition to beating medvedev he did beat him in straight sets herk has, has had a couple of wars beat sonago in three and beat chapo in three I'm sorry, he beat uh, uh, Sonigo in five and beat Chapo in five. So he's off back to back five set matches. Corda has, looking at his results so far, only dropped one set back in the first round. He's won the last two rounds in straight sets. So there could be some significant rest advantage or stamina advantage, which might be why Corda's a decent favorite here at 160. But based on historical results, I find it absurd that the number 10 player, give or take, in the world is an underdog to the number 30-something player in the world. I think Herkes has a good chance to win the match, so I think it should be closer to quarter minus 130. But I agree with you. I think the over is a slam dunk play. I see probably at least one breaker. We saw Korda have a couple breakers against Medvedev, and we saw herquez have a breaker against Shapo, but there were a couple breaks in that match. I can see some ebbs and flows. I like the over as well. I think 39.5 is a good price. Mm-hmm. Good, a good line. So I'm with you on the over. But for value, i Aline Herkes lost one and a half sets at minus 125 for the insurance of a five-set loss.
1: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. You
0: you have any thoughts yeah. on the side?
1: Uh, I mean, I, uh, plus one and a half sets, if it goes five, yeah, then you're good. But I, I just think if it goes five, your yeah, over is going to hit anyway. So I'm just going to stick with my 39 and a half.
0: Cool. Uh, but moving on to the next match, you have Nishioka against Kakanov. Looking at the prices here, Kakanov is a favorite, which makes sense because he did just beat Tiafo. Uh, looking at the actual money line price, you're looking at Kakanov at minus 240. Nishioka is plus 200. Game spread, Kakanov is minus 4.5 and, and minus 105. Uh, Nishioka is plus 4.5 and, and minus 115. Once again, the lines might vary if you shop around. Over-under is 38.5 games at minus 115 to the over. Uh, the under is minus 105. For set wagers here, Kakanov minus one-and-a-half sets is minus 125. The uh, Nishioka plus one-and-a-half sets is minus 105. And the over three-and-a-half sets is minus 200. We talked before about there's probably some value on Nishioka to win the quarter at 8-1. to one. First of all, do you think he's actually going to beat Kakanov? And second of all, are you expecting a marathon match?
1: Uh, I am expecting a marathon match. The only thing is is that with uh, Nishioka's ability to break a lot, will there be a lot of breaks in the match to make the over-under kind of... Um, get screwed by a 6-2 set or 6-1 set here. I think Nishioka does have a chance to win here, actually. I think that he is a good enough player to overcome this minus uh, minus 250 Khashanov. But uh, I'm still thinking that this match is going to go over. I still think that this is going to be a marathon match. It's almost the same thing as what we just talked about previously. I'm looking at the 38 and a half over.
0: So I'm looking at the results in their last match in Washington last year because it went 7-6, 7-6 in favor of Nishioka. So there were two breaks in the entire match. Uh, Kakanov saved six out of seven break points, and Nishioka saved three out of four break points. So each player had opportunities. They just didn't capitalize. There is one crazy stat, though, because Nishioka won the match. When you're looking at first serve return points, Nishioka lost 43 of the 52 points where, Nishio, where uh, Kakanov hit a first serve. Interesting. K- Kakanov won 83% of his first serve points.
1: Uh, it's, I and mean, he still it's, lost
0: the match because he won 31% of his second serve points.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Obviously that means that Hoshano has to get his first serves in, but yeah. I, I still think it's gonna go four more sets here and Nishioka has gotten to got to a tiebreaker against McDonald and like you said before there's tiebreakers in the um previous matchup, so that bodes well to the over here so uh, I'm just I think that each side is going to be pretty evenly matched Uh, uh, a different play style completely but um I think it's gonna be a marathon over 38 and a half for me
0: yeah I'm trying to remember how windy it was in Washington I remember that there were some issues I think it might have been in Washington where there was wind and Nishioka made it to the final and then lost to Kyrios in that tournament but I'm looking at the serve numbers here just for comparison I don't really care much about Nishioka's service numbers because he's not a great server anyway He served fine in the match, though. But Kakanov had seven aces, ten double faults, first serve percentage, 55%. And I said before, he won 83% of his first serve points. So if he hits more first serves, I'm not sure if Nishioka is going to do any damage in the return games, which might pivot me a little bit more to Kakanov winning. But I do think Kakanov is going to slip up at some point for at least a set. I'm probably tempted by the games at four and a half, but that's a little bit risky I can't take three and a half sets because it's minus 200. I think I'm with you. I think I'm on the over. I see I see Nishioka winning a set here. I see a potential breaker. Maybe it goes five. We talked about Nishioka, though, to win the quarter has value because we know Kakanov can self-destruct at any point, and you're going to let uh, the Korda and Herkes match hopefully limit whoever Nishioka would face physically in the quarters, but I think I'm with you. I think we're seeing eye-to-eye eye here. I'm on the over. I see another competitive match. i consider maybe four and a half games for Nishioka, but I don't think I can actually get there because I do think Kakanov could win a set 6-2. I'm just hoping that it turns into a marathon match based on four or five sets. So I think I'm with you. I'm on the over in that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have anything else you want to add on that or should I move on?
1: No, let's move on to the next one.
0: Okay, so moving on to the next match, we're looking at uh, Laheka against Felix. Felix is a pretty hefty favorite here. Felix is minus 420. Uh, you know, uh, smoke it if you got it, minus 420. Uh, you're looking at Laheka, he's plus 340. Uh, the game spread, Felix is minus five and a half at even money. Laheka is plus five and a half at minus 120. Over, under is 37 and a half. And you're looking at the over under for actual sets. Three and a half is around minus 145. Uh, The under is plus 115. I don't know about you. I'm easily taking Laheka over three and a half sets. Felix has been punting sets to everybody in this event. I think three and a half is a great deal at minus 145. And I'm going to take the games with Laheka. If you're going to consistently drop sets, I'm not laying five and a half with you. I think that's absurd. He dropped two sets against Mulcan, dropped one set against Sarundalo, give me Laheka plus five and a half games and give me the over three and a half sets. There's no way I can expect Felix to dominate when he's looked very vulnerable up to this point
1: i'm 100 percent with you on the over three and a half sets that would be my only play here what scares me on the games is the ability of auger to break if we look at just a sarondolo match uh he auger was gave up a set 6-3 but he was able to win 6-1 6-1 6-4 which would below the spread there so um i'm just gonna go with you on the over three and a half sets here I, i'm scared of what could happen when it comes to uh, breaks of service in this match. So uh, I'm I'm just with the over three and a half.
0: Yeah, I think if you wanted to go for a potential prop bet, you could make an argument for Laheka first set. Because Felix so far in this event, he did well in the first set against Surundalo, but he lost the first set to Pospisil 6-1, and he lost the first set to Mulkan 6-3. If you actually could find a first set prop uh, which I'm it. pulling. I'm pulling it up right now.
1: Plus two ten, Leheska.
0: Do you think there's value there? Because I feel like there is.
1: Mm, I don't know. That that's that to me is a is a shot in the dark. I don't. I, I it's happened like you said in those two matches, but I I, I don't think that there's really evidence of Auger being vulnerable in, just in the first set. So I, I'm going to stay away from it.
0: I'm asking because Leheska won the first two, won the first set against Chorich, won the first set against Eubanks and lost the first set 7-6 to Nori, was 10-8 in the breaker. So that was definitely a serious marathon set there. I'm trying to just pull up the first set quickly. Did he have any breaks? Was he up anything? Uh, he did have a break point at 4-4. So he had a shot to potentially serve it out for the match. But I think there might be value there based on how slow Felix has started out. But the over three and a half sets is my favorite play. I can't trust Felix to win in straight sets. I just can't trust that happening. So give me the over three and a half sets. Uh, should we move on? Yep. Okay. Uh, so that officially concludes the ga- The matches on the Saturday card, technically. No, no,
1: no, 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 no. I mean, city uh, um, Pass Center is still. I was going to say there. that's a
0: three in the morning on Sunday. I was I was using a technicality. I, I baited you in. Uh, so the last match, which we're saving the best for last, is Sitsi Pass against Center, which is the first morning match, so to speak, at 3 a.m. Uh, but looking at this overall line, Sitsi Pass is the favorite, but it is relatively close. Uh, you are looking at Pass being a m- minus 200 favorite. You have Sinner at plus 175 the other way. Pass minus three and a half games is the spread at minus 125. Sinner plus three and a half games is plus 105. The over three and a half sets is minus 180. The under three and a half sets is plus 150 the other way. I'll go on record quickly. I think there's a no value on the under three and a half. I'm not picking either guy to win in a blowout. I think it'll be a very competitive match. And for the sets, minus one-and-a-half sets for Paz is minus 120, plus one-and-a-half sets for Sinners, minus 110. The over-under for games is 39.5. Actually, uh, yeah, it's 39.5. You can find a 40 if you want to go for an alternative, and it's plus 105 to the over. Sam, this is definitely the match of the tournament so far. No offense to Rublev and the Rune, but this, in my opinion, is the best match we've had up to this point. Paz has dominated the head-to-head, though. He is 4-1. and one. However, Sinner was a bit of a late bloomer as a top-10 player, and he really came into his own in the last year and a half. So looking at the actual head-to-head, I just want to go through some of the matches here just to let you know how recent they faced off against each other. Uh, so they played on clay four of the five matches, which is misleading because I think we can all agree that Tsitsipas is much better on clay than Sinner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they played once on hard court. It was in the quarterfinals last year, and Sisi beat the crap out of him. Sitsi beat him 6 3, 6 4, 6 2. That's the only hard quarter match they've ever had. So I'm going to ask you this Was Sisi dominating in straight sets last year, and based on the form that Sitsi has been in, and the fact that Sitsi Paz ha- had to uh, really deal with a little to no resistance, while Sinner had to go five sets against Fuxovics and win that match in the last round? Do you think Sinner is going to win? And second of all, do you think it's a repeat where City Pause blows him out?
1: So, um, what, how I'm breaking down this match is, I obviously think that. Uh, that last Australian Open matchup is something to consider here. When I'm looking at both quality of players, I think it's really more of a coin flip. But you look at the last year, three nothing. It really, it, it does concern you. Maybe that Pass has some kind of uh, play style that might be hurting Sinner when they go head to head here. But I still think that Sinner and Pass are more of a coin flip when it comes to quality of play, uh, quality of player. Um, I'm looking at the plus four and a half for, uh, for center here. I think that even though he did lose three nothing in the Australian Open last year, I think that it's not going to happen the same way. Sissipas might pull through, but uh, being able to get four and a half games on a quality of player coin flip, I think is a good deal. So uh, I'm with the center side of here, plus four and a half minus one twenty five.
0: I think the only concern for me is the fact that Sinner has not won a set in the last three head-to-heads, but two of them were on clay, so you can toss them out. Sissy Paz should beat him on clay the majority of the time, and just the way it is. Sinner, last year in the Australian Open, was still a relative unknown. Of course, we were aware of him, but nobody thought, watching him in the Australian Open, oh, this guy's going to make a Wimbledon final. This guy's going to potentially be a serious candidate to win the U.S. Open, and then he lost that insane match to Alcaraz. It seemed like everything really clicked in the clay season for Sinner when he beat Alcaraz in the final of, I'm trying to remember what event that was, but you know what I'm talking about. Was where was that? Was what tournament was that? Where Sinner beat him? I remember that it, I was in Florida at the time. I watched the match in my hotel room. But the point is, once that match happened, I feel like we looked at Sinner differently, and we thought to ourselves, this guy can actually do something. And then he made the finals of Wimbledon. And then he made a deep run in the U.S. Open. I think Sinner has drastically improved since that Australian Open just destruction by Sitsipas, which does make me kind of lean to where you are, which is Sinner keeping his match competitive. I think my favorite play probably would be the over in games at 39.5. I think you'll see one breaker here. I think you'll see a competitive match in general. I think I am going to lean to Sitsipas minus 1.5 sets, though. I'm not fully willing to accept center being a guy that could actually uh, win the match in my eyes, just based on how much sharper Sitsipas has looked so far in the tournament. So I think I'm leaning Sitsipas minus one and a half sets, but I think my favorite play probably would be the over. I see four sets with a breaker in there, which is good enough for me. I'll go with the over.
1: Gotcha. A little disagreement there, no, pro- but that's no problem.
0: I just can't look past the head-to-head. It's just a spot where I want Sinner to win because I love Center as a player. But for whatever reason, Tsitsipas has just had his number.
1: Yep. No, I see that as well. It so, scares me a little bit, but I I like center as a player. I think it's more more of a coin flip. I think Sitsy Pops has the ability to, you know, lower his skill level sometimes um when it gets tough in matches. So I mean Sitsy Pops obviously still a great player, but yeah. I, I just like Center um quality of player. So I'm I'm just taking the four and a half games. All right. Uh, so get. Sam
0: since uh, we went through all the matches, do you have anything else you want to add, or should we move on to the Lock and Dog segment? We have four more matches. You're you're absolutely right. I was bluffing. Uh, forgot. I got so used to the new format that we did yesterday that I forgot that we still had four matches to do. My bad. Uh, so that's going to conclude the action for uh, tonight. Now, moving on to tomorrow, you have Batista Agut and Tommy Paul. Starting off, I mentioned the odds before, but Tommy Paul and Batista Agut are roughly... Minus 110 apiece. So it's basically a pick'em. Uh, you're looking at the games, it's 38 and a half. That's all I have. I don't have any uh real value on the set stuff because it's basically a pick'em match. Sam, I'm going with Tommy Paul, just short and sweet. I hope I'm wrong because I got Batista good at 14 to 1. I didn't think he looked particularly great against Murray. I think he was pretty fortunate that Murray was compromised physically. Tommy Paul was the opposite. He looked great against Brooksby, got to get off the court quickly, and he's younger. So I think that he'll be more fit. Gimme Paul in what could be a marathon match, but I think eventually Batista Gut runs out of gas. I got Tommy Paul here.
1: Yeah, and we did, we talked about that in the quarter odds. Um, same same thing here. I, I we get a nice price at only uh, minus one ten here. I'm also on the side of Tommy Paul. That's it.
0: Okay, and for uh, the other matches going in chronological order after that Batista Gut match, you have Rublev versus Rune. Uh, that's the second most fun match that we have, because the first one's going to be Tsitsipas, in my opinion. But looking at the value here or the money line prices, Rune is minus 125, Rublev is plus 105, over-under is 40.5, and that's basically it. Once again, basically a pick so there's no real value on the sets unless you think somebody gets absolutely destroyed. I'm going Rune. Uh, I know you're probably going to go Rublev because you liked him to win the quarter, Rune just beat him a couple months ago on hardcore and straight sets, and I think Rune right, is just the better player at this stage. It's close. I think it'll be a very competitive match. I'm going to go Rune just because ever since he won the Masters 1000, really the couple tournaments before that, he was just playing great tennis, and the fact that he beat Rublev on hard court roughly a month or two ago, I think bodes well for him. And Rublev played basically a perfect match against Evans. I'm kind of skeptical if he'll be able to duplicate that with the unforced errors. I'm going Rune. I'm assuming you're going Rublev. Uh,
1: I'm not, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that for sure. I, I think this is a coin flip match. I really don't know who's going to end up pulling this one off. I think it's going to be very close. I wanted the ruble for the quarter odds. Because of that, you get a plus 5.50 instead of plus 4.50. And if it's a coin flip match and you have one of them where you're getting more better odds on, I'm going with the better odds on it. Uh, I think this match screams over as well. I think um, I don't think there's probably value on the over three and a half sets here because it's probably going to be a huge price to pay. But um, the over 39 and a half is what i'm looking at i just think it's going to be a really really tough match um for for these guys and i think there's going to be a lot of games being played i think it could definitely go five i'm going with the over 39 and a half
0: yeah you kind of mentioned what i was going to say at the end there but there's not enough value on it i was looking for the over four and a half sets for rublev and rune and i found plus 220 which i need more meat on the bone to take that mm-hmm at 220, like if it was three to one, 350, I'd probably, you know, put a little sprinkle on it. I dabble, but I don't think I can do that at 220. I think it'll be competitive. I'm a bit concerned about the actual games. I, I could see a couple six threes, maybe a six two in there. If one guy just catches fire with his return games. But I think I'm going to lean Rune because right now I just think he's the better player. Mm-hmm. It is a coin flip, though. I will agree with you. I, I think I just think Rune is the better player. He also
1: has volatility of Rublev, but you you honestly never know what what he's going to do. Sometimes he just loses matches in a big, big way. Yeah,
0: mentally he starts losing it, he'll scream at his corner. I mean, Rune is a bit of an emotional guy too, who is known to be volatile as well, and that's really why he has gotten into the top 10. In the second half of last year, he did a lot better at controlling his emotions, and that has paid him a lot of dividends throughout the last couple of months. So I'm going to lean to Rune in that match. I don't think there's any value on anything in that match, to be honest with you. Besides maybe a total games over if you think that it's going to be a serious war, but even there, I don't think there's much value there anyway. So I think that's a pure stay away for me. Just sit back and enjoy. You want to make a case mm-hmm. for anything or just stick, sit back and enjoy? No,
1: that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Same okay. thing.
0: Okay. Uh, moving on, uh, you're looking at the Shelton Wolf match. Uh, another really, really close line. A lot of close coin flip matches here. Wolf on the money lines, minus 125. Shelton's plus 105. Over-under's 40 and a half. Uh, they have not played in the head-to-head. Shelton, of course, this is the furthest he's ever gone. This is the furthest that Wolf has ever gone. So it's kind of a trade-off there. I think we'll agree right now, Wolf is the better player. But Shelton's got a good serve. He's a lefty, takes him getting used to. I'm going with Wolf. I really like what I've seen from him up to this point. Both guys have won in straight sets in each of the last two rounds. You're looking at Shelton. He beat Jari and beat Papyron. You're looking at Wolf. He beat Schwartzman and Momoa. Pretty favorable schedule there because Schwartzman's past his prime, and Momoa, he had Zverev. And Momoa, we know, historically speaking, was awful against Wolf, and we thought Wolf would destroy him, and he did. I'm going Wolf here, but I think it probably goes four sets. I just think Wolf's the better player.
1: I have the exact same breakdown. I think this is a matchup of who you think is a better player. Both of them should not be too fatigued both young, 24 years old for J.J. Wolf, 20-year-old Ben Shelton. And they're off back-to-back
0: um, straight set wins.
1: So. Uh, they're both off back-to-back straight set wins. That's right. I think um, we've seen less quality of opponents for Shelton with Zhang, Jari, and Papyrin yeah. versus Thompson, Schwartzman, and Momo. Uh, I just think J.J. Wolf is a better player. I'm with him on the money line.
0: Yeah, I think that it's going to be competitive. I, I maybe consider taking Wolf 3-1 if you want to get extremely fancy with it. I think it'll go 4. I think i will probably get a breaker in there, so I'm probably leading to the over because both guys are pretty good servers. Uh, I actually want to see what that price is for Wolf 3-1 because I don't think it's going to go 5, but I do think that Shelton can have moments here, and Shelton has been good in tiebreakers in this event. So if you want to actually look for an exact score here, uh, you can take you can find wolf to win in four at plus 370. you have any thoughts on that do you think that's a little bit too risky because I think 370 is not bad
1: uh 370 is not bad I'm just sticking with wolf money line I, like I said I think he's just a better player I'm gonna go with what I know here I'm not gonna try to overextend plus 370 is a good deal though I'm not gonna lie but I'm not personally gonna overextend it I'm just gonna go with what I know JJ Wolf is I think is a better player I'm going with the money line
0: Yeah, I've been giving out Wolf on this podcast for several weeks or months at this point, so I'm going to go on Wolf uh, as well. And moving on to the next match, we're going to be looking at Diminor and Djokovic. This is actually the final uh, match we're going to cover since I accidentally double-faulted earlier, uh, forgetting that we're covering two days instead of one. Uh, Diminor and Djokovic. Djokovic is a pretty big favorite, but not as big as he usually is. If he was at full strength... It'd probably minus eight hundred
1: just being honest, but now is uh, that yeah, minus for sure for sure at least yeah, yeah but now is that minus four
0: twenty five give or take The game spread is around six or six and a half, and the over under is thirty six and a half. uh if you want to look for some other lines here, let me just see what I can pull up. uh do you have it in front of you because I'm uh, my uh fi for some reason is kind of acting up on me quickly. the spread in the over? Uh, I, I mentioned the spread and the over, but you can probably find alternatives. I, I got it. Uh, so I mentioned it was six. Six and a half is minus 115 uh, for Dimonor, and it's six and a half is minus 105 there for Djokovic. You can find an alternative uh, total at thirty five and a half at minus 120. Uh, besides that, though, uh, what else is there? Dimonor total games one is 14 and a half. Djokovic total games one is 19 and a half. I mentioned the money lines already. I'm going to go. I'm going to be pretty simple here. And I think you're going to agree with me. I think there's a bunch of value on Dimanour. Dimanour plus the games for me, I think it's a hell of a deal. I'll take the six and a half. Dimanour is one of the worst players you can possibly face with an injury, especially a leg injury, because he's going to run around. Unlike Dimitrov, he won't commit many unforced errors. And every point's going to take nine years. Give me Dimanour. I think he's had a good shot to win the match. I think he's got a very good shot to make this a war. Give me pretty much anything pro-Diminor. I'll take the over in personal games. I'll take the over uh, in a set. I'll take him to win a set of minus 155. I'll take him plus the games. Maybe even to win the match. But I think there's a lot of value on Diminor.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm on the same I'm on the same boat, but I'm gonna go all the way in saying that the value of the entire match bets here is the demon hour money line, given the fact that you only have to play one set, I believe, is the rule on that one for that yeah. to cash instead well, of Well, I was gonna to. say
0: an important thing to mention, which you just did, I was going to bring it up. Make sure you read the house rules of whatever book you're betting tennis on, because some books will refund it if a if a player quits. Other books will pay you as long as one set is completed. Now, I don't think Djokovic is going to retire because he's got the crowd. I think he would willingly get his ass kicked just to stay out there for the crowd. But there's always a chance. So read the house rules. Make sure that you don't get screwed over if Djokovic would retire mid-match. But that's that's kind of the point that we were both going to make there. But thank you for bringing it up.
1: Yeah, that's very, very important to make sure you have the rules. It's a huge difference. You know, a lot of people will just go in there blindly, like, hey, it won't matter. I don't think you'll. But then when it does happen, it's brings a huge huge edge in, in, in the in towards the house if you are getting screwed over um, by a wager like a plus six and a half where you need the full match to happen and you're not taking the money line because of that but the money line you have only one set to, need, to be completed and you do cash so yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that the value is on demon Hour money line I think um, as long as they uh, graded as a win for demon Hour to win one set and he does win one set there um, at, even if uh, Joe Jokovic retires maybe after three or four, um, then I'm also going to say I agree with the minus 155 for Hour to win a set as well.
0: Yeah, and just quickly looking at Demonauer's actual path so far, he's had a uh, little to no resistance. He won in straight sets against a relative unknown, uh, beat Manorino in four, and then beat Bonzi in three. Six two six one. The final two sets. So he absolutely just cruised in the final two sets. Got off the court quickly. Djokovic did win in straight sets, but the first set took about an hour and twenty. Was a relatively long match there. I believe the third set was also over an hour. So Djokovic was on the court for three plus hours, despite winning in straight sets. And Dimonor was on the court for a lot less than that. I can't make a case for Djokovic here. Especially for the value. The home crowd will probably be a split because people love Djokovic, but Dimonor is an Australian guy and Kyrgios isn't there. So he's probably the most likable Australian player left. Can I say that?
1: No, sp- yeah, yeah, yeah. You
0: can probably said that anyway with Kyrios being there because some people still don't like Kyrios, but there are not many Australians left with Papyron losing. So the crowd's going to be fully into Diminor here, and I think that could definitely give Diminor a spark. But I'm with you. I I think there's a bunch of value on Diminor here. I think he's got a good chance to win the match.
1: Yep. That's all I got to say about that one.
0: Okay. Uh, So uh, before we actually get into the lock and dog pick, I am going to ask you quickly anything else you want to make, any super-duper, no-break-points face, no-whatever-nonsense, or just
1: move on? No-whatever-nonsense? No, not this time around.
0: Okay, cool. So uh, we're going to get into the lock and dog pick. Before we actually get into that, going to take a word from our sponsors. We're brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the Sports game Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays. And the NFL playoffs are here, so you can bet same-game parlays and live bet on that. But great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer, bet $100, and get $100 limited to state availability. And, of course, if you hit the biggest long-shot parlay of the week, if you put, I don't know, uh, Batista, Goot, no break points faced with uh, Djokovic, you know, something, maybe it pays out $180,000 if you bet $100 on it. A bit of a running joke there between Sam and I. Uh, But if you end up having the longest parlay of the week, you get $1,000 in free credit. There's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to the sportscampodcast.com slash winbet. So then we sent you the sportscampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-D-E-T. Offer subject, to change, ter- offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished breaking down the fourth round of the Australian Open with Sam Jacob. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks. Sam, we're both on heaters, but I'm going to let you go first because you're still undefeated in your lock and dog picks for the tournament. What is your lock for the show?
1: My lock is going to be someone, I think, uh, where the money line shouldn't be as low as it is. I think he should be heavier in favor because I just think he's a better player. I'm going with J.J. Wolf on the money line as my lock. I just think that uh, these two young guys are going against each other, but J.J. Wolf does have a slight edge in experience, and we didn't really see Shelton play such difficult opponents he went five against Zhang. he had to be he beat be jarring straight sets and papyri in straight sets but i'm not really considering that such great wins and before he was in auckland and lost two nothing to house and before that he was in adelaide lost two nothing to duckworth i think jj wolf is uh, a better quality player at this point he has better quality wins throughout his career i'm going with the money line minus 135
0: okay and what is your dog
1: my dog, I'm going to go right back to the well. We've, I've done this two times already, and I'm going to go for a third time. It's a very favorable matchup for him. Um... Because of who he's playing, it's going to be Tommy Paul and the alternative game spread minus one and a half at plus 115. I've done Tommy Paul alternatives throughout this um, throughout this tournament and have cashed on every single one of them. And he's once again playing a guy who we're getting a coin flip on. And I think Tommy Paul does have a greater edge on it here. I would go with Tom Paul, Tommy Paul minus 115 in the money line all day. But um, we're going with a, a nice dog plus 115 money price here so that's what i'm going to do i'm going to go with the minus one and a half games um and uh we're going to try to ride tommy paul throughout this entire tournament as as a dog getting good plus money
0: yeah and it's funny because you have taken tommy paul alternatives all tournament along the one show that you were not on I took Tommy Paul as my lock, and he covered that too. So Tommy Paul's made us money, a lot of money so far in this tournament. Having said that, he could kill me because I got two separate outrights, and Tommy Paul is now favored to win that quarter. So we'll see what happens, but either way, for my lock, I really thought about Tommy Paul as well. I was torn between Tommy Paul and the over three and a half sets in the Felix Leheka match because Felix has been punting sets like a madman, and I think that there's some value there at around minus 140, minus 145. But I think I am going to go with, you know what? I'm going to go with Tommy Paul money line as my lock. I think that from what I saw last night, Tommy Paul's in better form. Batista Agut has made the fourth round here a bunch. I believe he's made the fourth round here. Uh, he's he's been he's been here in this spot a decent amount of the time in his career. However, from watching him play, went five sets against Holt, struggled against a compromised Murray. I really didn't think he looked great. I thought he looked fine, but Paul was in a three-set, just easy match. He's younger. He's more fit. He's w- more rested. I think it's a good spot for Tommy Paul, too. So both of us are on Tommy Paul, but I will take him as the lock. And for the dog, I am going to uh, take... What do I want to go with here? Um, You know what? I'm going to go with a pretty decent plus money play here. I'm going to take Dimenure plus five and a half games at plus one thirty. I think plus one thirty is an absolute bargain for a guy who should make life really, really difficult for the injured opponent. And I faded injured opponents all all a tournament long. I had McDonald against Nadal. Nadal got more injured as the match went on, but he was still upset in a break at the time. I w- was on Dimitrov yesterday. He ended up covering against Djokovic. Diminor is a lot better than Dimitrov. Diminor is good enough with the home crowd to make life miserable for Djokovic. And I can really see Djokovic punting a set. We saw him later on in the match punting more points when he was up a break to save energy. And I think that you could see Diminor go up a break and Djokovic says, you know what? It's not worth my time. I'm down 4-2. It's the second set. I'm already up a set. And... I'm going to save my energy for the third and the fourth. I could see Dimonor winning a set 6-2 potentially here because Djokovic's serve kind of fell off a cliff there in the fourth set. He got broken twice. I think Dimonor plus five and a half games against an injured player at plus 130 is a steal. I'm going to take that as my dog.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'm just so tired of the uh, Djokovic retirement there. I mean, you get your money back, but oh, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying.
0: I could take the money line if I really wanted to. So, I mean, what's it would you rather take the money line or the games?
1: Uh, just for the cashing opportunity, I, I'm with my value play what, that I discussed earlier throughout the match. It's the money line, but it's complete. It's up to you, man. You, you do you. I don't think Djokovic is going to, to retire just because
0: of the fact that it's a Grand Slam. It's his first Australian Open in over a year, uh, basically two years. And I just think that he's going to be the kind of guy who would worst-case scenario serve it underhand. I think he would just go out there, get killed, but he would leave to the ovation of the crowd, and that would be it. So I don't think Djokovic will retire. So I'm not concerned mm -hmm. about it, but I I acknowledge the point you're bringing up.
1: I I 100% agree with you, by the way. I don't think he's going to retire either. It's just that factor that does exist. It's the
0: crowd. I think that he would be willing to suck it up and embarrass himself on the court, losing a set 6-0, serving underhand, then leave early. So that's kind of where mm-hmm. I stand on that. D- I probably will have a play on their either money line, or at least to win a set. I'll bet him to win a set of like minus 155, or I'll bet him on the games here. Five and a half, though, at plus 130, I love that price. I got to take that.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: So uh, that's going to wrap it up for the show. Once again, Sam, just remind the people what your lock and dog are.
1: Uh, my lock is JJ Wolf, money line. My dog is the alternative spread of Tommy Paul, minus one and a half.
0: And what was the uh, price
1: for both? My, minus 135, plus 110 for Tommy Paul, uh, plus minus 135 for JJ Wolf, plus 110 Tommy Paul.
0: Okay. And my lock and dog, I'm going to go with Paul on the money line at minus 110. And my dog will be Diminor, plus five and a half games against Djokovic at plus 130. Other than that, though, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Scaling Podcast. We'll be back once again on uh, Monday. Uh, to go. Uh, yeah, Monday, uh, probably going to be a solo pod for me. We'll see. But either way, uh, we'll see what Sam's work schedule is. Other than that, though, you can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. You can find Sam at Sam Jacob Tennis. Anything else you want to say, Sam, or should we just wrap it up? I'll wrap it up. Cool. Uh, until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.